Sashi Puki Chukshin Etok Chan Virabhin Shingin Degyan Padi Sangye Shingdu Mikte Uvargi Jokun Amdak Shingla Chuparsho Yidam Guru Radna Mandalakam Niryatayami Sangi Chudam Soki Choknamla Jangchu Bardu Dakni Kapsuchi Daki Chenyan Gipe Sunamki Jola Penshir Sangi Jurparsho Sangi Chudam Soki Choknamla Jangchu Bardu Dakni Kapsuchi Daki Chenyan Yipe Sunamki Jola Penshir Sangi Jurparsho Sangi Chudam Soki Choknamla Jangchu Bardu Dakni Kapsuchi Daki Chenyan Gipe Sunamki Jola Penshir Sangye Juparshan Coming right into a meditation. focus to the body and feeling how it relaxes and unwinds a little bit just by placing your attention there. And scan down your body and let go of tension wherever you find it. You can stay in certain places longer if it requires more time. There's no rush. And feel like all the cares, the worries from the day are just slipping away. Anything pulling you from the future or even in the present, just letting go. Enter the quiet stillness of pure awareness.
time some thought grabs your focus, just relax back into the open, spacious awareness. Just letting go. When you finish scanning down the body, then come to the rhythm of your breathing at the lower belly. Keeping your attention balanced, not too tight, not too loose. So if you feel pressure at the forehead or your brow starting to furrow, relaxing your focus. If you start to feel spaced out or kind of your awareness is kind of mushy, something like that, then um, refresh your interest. Each time your awareness jumps off somewhere else, just releasing the grasp on whatever you jump to and coming back to the attention, the lower belly, feeling rooted and grounded.
before we end the meditation, coming to a really clear, bright, focused mind that's relaxed at the same time. Getting as good a focus as you can. And then once you have that, then releasing the meditation starting to move and open your eyes when you're ready and making a dedication. So we're on class five, the Bodhisattva's way of life, patience, joy, and meditation. And it's Wednesday, May 22nd. Okay, so this class we're going to talk about how to develop joyful effort. And we're covering Guy Luc, uh, where we think we can't do what all these famous bodhisattvas are doing. And Master Shantideva is going to give us tips to overcome that feeling. So we're going to clear up some Dharma rumors, like Buddha nature, and how you sometimes hear that we're all a Buddha already and we're just uncovering it. That's not true. We'll talk about that. And we'll start with the idea that Master Shantideva talks about comparing a bodhisattva to a king. I love all of the analogies that he uses. They're so great. Um, there's four armies of the king. Like the President of the United States has the Navy, the Army, Air Force, Marines. In ancient India, it was like there were elephanteers, charioteers, infantry, horse riders. So those were the four great in Indian history. So tonight's class um, focuses on not getting discouraged. And getting discouraged is the third of the three forces that works against joyful effort. And we, we covered those last class. The three are... Um, Number one is lay low, or laziness. Being attracted to being inactive and laying around, wasting time, doing nothing of virtue. The second one is being attracted to wrong deeds. And the third one is discouragement or low self-esteem, which is what we'll talk about tonight. And all of us get this in our practice, I think. Um, I guess maybe not all of us, but m most people I know, I definitely get it. Um, and the idea that Master Shantideva is talking about is that bodhisattvas have four armies at their disposal, which help fight off mental afflictions and prevent them from getting discouraged when they're practicing the perfections. Okay, so that's a lot of text on that slide. 
Um, number one, let's say Guy Luc May. Guy Luc May. Go Che Sundru. Go Che Sundru. Guy Luc May. Guy Luc May. Go Che Sundru. Go Che Sundru. Um, so that's the Bodhisattva attitude, especially compassion which acts as armor that protects you from getting discouraged. This is really low dharma self-esteem, which we have to overcome. Approaching our dharma practice like that is goche uh, sundru. Goche means armor or chain mail or an armor plate. And it appears often in the scriptures with the idea that if you have certain ideas in your mind, like compassion, they protect you. Other negativities can't penetrate the armor of compassion. Which is really cool that that's what can protect you. Especially in a long retreat where there may be specific obstacles that come up. When we, we review our compassion in the morning, and also in the higher teachings, there's special practices for this. But these attitudes prevent our progress from leaking out. So having the compassionate attitude prevents any of our progress from leaking out. And it prevents bad attitudes from seeping into our mind too. Not allowing ourselves to get discouraged is easy to say but hard to do. So the, what usually happens, you know, we're studying patience and then... We go to work and first thing we get angry at somebody and we're like oh my gosh I'm like I'm not making any progress it took me two minutes to get angry at somebody I'm not capable of doing this so we have to put on our armor which prevents our progress from leaking out and prevents obstacles from coming in and the main goche or armor is compassion the second uh, say, Jorwe Sundru. Jorwe Sundru. Jorwe Sundru. Working hard at the two collections of merit and wisdom. So this kind of effort is working effort. When you divide theory and practice, the practice is called Jorwe. So when you hear the word effort in English, before we learn the definition, it doesn't sound very good, but the Buddhist definition is to enjoy doing good things, pretty much. So when it comes time to meditate or do something for someone else, we're, we love it. It's like, we're, we're like, yes, this is so awesome. And, you know, I can't wait to do this. It's, it's a privilege to get to do this. It's not like, oh God, I have to help this person, you know? <laughs> Which we probably feel that way sometimes, but we try to counter it and think, okay, I'm feeling that way, and also, awesome, I, I, like I have this opportunity. So we start training ourselves. This is more... So that's the idea of effort that we learned before. Um, this effort is more of what we thought of before we knew that definition. So it's working hard at the two collections. 
So it's not the same as the joyful effort. Collecting enough good karma to create a Buddha's body and then meditation and wisdom create a Buddha's mind. So it, it is like some, eff, some effort in the way that we would normally think of it. Um, number three, say, Lur Lang Wa. That one's, that's a tricky one. Lur Lang Wa. <laughs> Which is throwing yourself into it. Um, and it really means like jumping right into it. And in this context, in the Bodhisattva Charyavatara, the one means... This, what this one means is that your mental state as you do your perfections um, of patience, for example. So, Hler Langwa has two parts. And these two are very important. So, it means um, having recollection and awareness. So, it's talking about your mental state as you're doing the activity. as we do the six perfections, basically as we're doing our practice. So the first one, say drempa. 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 Is recollection. So you probably remember these from the meditation course. Mm -hmm. um, and recollection is remembering your goal of practicing the bodhisattva perfections. So remembering, recollecting, what am I doing here? What's my practice? And thinking, I need to be in contact with the challenging people at work to get to enlightenment. They're the ones who are helping me get there. And it's, it's like a strategic alliance. We think, okay, you're going to try to get me irritated, and I'm going to try to stay patient. And we're working together to get to enlightenment. I find it really helpful. Did we talk about this last week? Yeah, I, I remember yeah. you talking. But now it's coming to me again. I told Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's helpful to hear again yeah it was really helpful to me at work because I was having some frustration come up with one of my coworkers, and it was like over and over in the same way and so after I heard this I was like okay we're partners in getting to enlightenment your job is to be annoying my job is to practice patience and so you know like you're doing that to help me practice patience it's really it was really helpful if you if you can remember it, so always patience. Is it what? Always patience. I mean, I guess it's whatever you know, like probably multiple things. Yeah, it could be any of the perfections, but with this, with my situation, it was definitely patience. Yeah. <laughs> So as you walk into your office or your work, you're thinking most, I think most, like the biggest thing is usually anger. So I, I think for most of us, so we're thinking as we're walking into our office, I'm here to practice patience. That's why I'm here. That's my job here. It's not to cut hair. It's not to assist people whenever they need things, you know, which is what I do. It's I'm here to practice patience. I'm here to practice. That's my job. 
the, the main reason to be at work and around other people is that we can practice. Because we really can't practice that much when we're not around them. Unless, I mean, if we're getting texts from them and, like, emails, then, yeah, we can still practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but not as much as being around people. It's just not the same. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're, as we're throwing ourselves into the activity, we have to be doing it with, A, recollection, and then, B, awareness. So say shashin. Shashin. And awareness is the sentry who rings the alarm when you lose your recollection of bodhisattva practices. So it's like um, when you're starting to lose your patience or get angry with someone, it's an alarm that goes off. Oh, wait, we're here practicing patience, remember? You know, like we're practicing that perfection. It could be giving or ethical way of life, whatever it is. But just say it's probably patience. So like there's that sentry that you have or that, that part of you that's watching and sounding the alarm. Wait a minute, we're getting into trouble. Like pay attention. Alarm, alarm. So Shashin is a watchman, someone who stays on the front lines and watches the enemy movements, watching everything that's happening. Shashin has to be in the back of our minds and Drempa has to remember who we are and why we're at work. So remembering who we are, why we're there, and then recollection is like keeping an eye out. So when we're, when we're about to get frustrated or angry with our coworker or... For me, it's coworkers. Right now, it's not my boss. It used to be my boss at my last job. Um, Shashin is the one that goes off and says, hey, do you, know, do you know what you're doing here? You know, they're like, it's like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me, hello. <laughs> okay, so these are the four armies. The first one is compassion. That's, our, that's a big armor for us. It can protect us a lot. The second one is working hard at collecting merit and wisdom. The third one is how we throw ourselves into the activity with recollection and awareness. And now the fourth one, say Dakni Wangja. Dakni Wangja. Lesu Rungwa. Lesu This one means ready to work. So because of our constant practice, we have control and command over our body and mind. This is kind of the result of the first three. And you see, we see this a lot in Buddhism, like the, four, the last one or the fourth or the sixth one, a lot of times is the result, or it's kind of like not the same as the others. Have you noticed that in general? <laughs> You'll see it now. <laughs> so with the body, if we practice meditation long enough, we can make our body sit still for four hours. We have total control of it, over it. And we say, body, we're, you know, we're in control. It's not the body pushing us around. And we say, body, we're going to sit still for four hours. Um, and then we also tell our mind what to do. And our mind does it. Body, we're going to sit still for four hours. Mind, we're going to stay on this object for four hours. 
that's it, and then we're there. Would be really amazing. So we tell our body what to do, and it has to obey. So that's half of this. Um, each of those are half, telling the body and the mind what to do. And then they listen. So this is the fourth armed force of a bodhisattva to fight the mental afflictions mainly. That's what we're doing. That's what these armed forces are fighting. So the four armies of the king fighting mental afflictions fighting, anger when it comes up. I mean, really, it's mostly anger. What else? Do you have something else come up a lot? Anger. Well, um, or, you know, like variations jealousy. of it. Well, jealousy. Not in the big way like I used to be, really, really. But doesn't jealousy kind of feel like anger, too? Like you're angry that someone has something? Or is it different? To me, it does. To me, it feels like I'm kind of like pissed that someone else has something and I don't have it. I think the underlying, because what I learned from my step work, there's anger, frustration, disappointment. There's all these things, but then the underlying of all of those things is um, fear of just Mm. fear of not having enough, fear of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. So then there's... Um, I mean, jealousy shy. is different, but... It's, it kind of seems like the same root to me. I have, I mean, I have that come up too. It's Jealousy is like, I think it's more uncomfortable than anger, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just feels so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That is the worst, for sure. Yeah, it's it's just the worst feeling. (laughs) But then the... Yeah, anger is a big one for me. But it really stems from fear. Because if you Mm. work... Yeah. But I think, you know, disappointed is a really big one. Um, Which would be like fear that this thing is never going to happen the way I want it to or something. Controlling, trying to control. Because you don't want to be out of control, have a sense of. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. um, So if it's fear, then that's a good thing because the fear is probably coming up first in some way. So then if we recognize the fear, we can stop it before it gets to the anger. Like, if we can recognize it in some way, even maybe it's just something um, that happens in our body 
like some tightening or something. Because um, I'll, I'll notice things sometimes, like when it's about to come up, when something's about to come up, but I don't always have the ability to act on it right then. But I'll start noticing more, which I think leads to then being able to act on it in the future. Yeah, to act on it like, um, like not follow it. So to be able to actually stop it when I see the, the fear or whatever it is, the slight irritation, whatever is coming up that's going to lead to the anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mainly what we're fighting here are the, are the mental afflictions which there's so many of them. <laughs> but it's good to know our main ones. <laughs> yeah. And I guess maybe that's not true, that it's the anger is everyone's main one. It just seems that way to me, <laughs> even when I'm around people. But yeah. maybe, well, not maybe, it, you know, it's my karma to see that, too. I have the seeds to see that, so maybe that's partly what it is, but it seems to me a lot of people have a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. And and people who think that they don't have anger usually appear to have, like, a lot to me. <laughs> like, really? You don't think you have anger? <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when, I mean, I know I do. I, I totally have it. It's it's crappy. All of us yeah. do. Nobody's yeah. free of it unless we're a Buddha, you know? Yeah. Because I hear people saying, like, I don't, I'm done with that one. No, you're not. You're not <laughs> done with that. <laughs> I know. Like, it's one, of, it's, it's one of the top ones. Everyone has it. I've never seen I've never seen one of my coworkers get angry, or you know where she's fresh. Oh, that's good. It must not be her main thing then. But I wonder, because she was different. She changed apparently. (laughs) She used to get angry. (laughs) Or I don't know. She was in some relationship. I think there was a lot of turmoil there. But then now she changed. But I feel like. Like, is not acting on it or hiding it or something? She kind of, she, yeah, like hiding it or she just doesn't do it at work. Mm. Show it. But she makes, I make, she makes me angry. <laughs> 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 I think a lot of other people too. Hmm. I know. <laughs> My dad, he never really got angry or mad. Like, he never. Yeah. My mom was always. Oh, she would, she would be the one doing that. And her side of the family is just. They could just pop, like, just out of nowhere. Oh, gosh. But my dad's side was always easygoing. Don't really like to do all that. But. <laughs> Sometimes that's nice. I mean, if if it's not like 
festering and it's like passive aggressive, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes if it's skillful, it's good to be able to say things, I think. But we don't have to always say something either. So, all of what we're talking about just takes a lot of practice. And before we see the direct perception of emptiness, we have to reach this point, you know, where we're able to be completely concerned about others as much as ourselves, which we can, compl- we can totally do this, and where we actually put their interests before our own. And this is what Master Shantideva is going to talk about. But it comes later in the chapter on meditation. And it's interesting because why does he devote most of the chapter on meditation to reversing your interests with others? And we have to kind of think about that. He doesn't mention anything about general meditation techniques in the chapter on meditation. Nothing. It's mainly how to put others' interests above your own. But we'll get to that later on, as um, Gelsub J says when he gets to this verse. Right now we're talking about these four armies that can help us fight off getting discouraged. We should never think, how could some lousy person like me ever reach Buddhahood? Because we can do it and we will do it. We're completely capable. Master Shantideva says, never allow yourself this kind of thought. The Buddhas, who cannot lie, spoke the following truth. And Master Shantideva quotes the sutra. He's basically saying, I'm not making this up. The Buddha said this as well, that we can all um, reach enlightenment. I love this um, quote. (laughs) Um... So say Laksang, Gi, Shupe Du. Laksang, Gi, Shupe Du. This sutra says flies, gnats, bees, worms, etc. If they put forth effort, they can reach Buddhahood. A human can distinguish right from wrong, so if you don't give up the bodhisattva practices, you too can reach Buddhahood. It's basically saying, if flies, gnats, bees, and worms can reach Buddhahood, then who are we to get discouraged? We're much better off than they are. And since the Buddha cannot tell a lie, it's one of the qualities of a Buddha, they can't lie, then this has to be true. The Buddha said it, all of these insects have a chance, so we definitely have a chance too. And to be able to appreciate this first, we have to go into the idea of Buddha nature, which we mentioned at the beginning. And we, you hear people saying um, that there's this shining crystal inside of you, there's a Buddha inside of you already. The only reason you aren't a Buddha is because you haven't uncovered it yet. And it kind of sounds nice. I think it can be comforting. But it's not what Buddha nature really means. And personally, it actually pisses me off, that idea. Because I'm like, what the hell? This, I'm already this and I can't 
and I can't get to it, like, that is really annoying. <laughs> I think it's helpful for some people, though, but um, for me, it just pisses me off. <laughs> so, that's not really what Buddha nature means. What Buddha nature really is, is actually more exciting and a lot more beautiful than any of the other ideas. And whenever we get depressed about our Dharma practice, uh, we get angry or strong attachment, we can think about our Buddha nature and think things aren't so bad. We have a guaranteed Buddha, Buddhahood. We must become enlightened. All of us will. Okay, so now we turn to a topic covered in Maitreya's Abhisamayalamkara, which is Buddha nature. And it's the existence of our own Buddha nature that guarantees that we'll become a Buddha. We must become enlightened eventually because the number of good deeds we need to collect, although quite large, is limited. So it's a sure thing. We for sure will become enlightened. Say Sange. Sange. Kirik. Sange Kirik. So that is Buddha nature. Um, so when we say Buddha or Sange, I really like this point that Geshe makes in this class. We need to stop thinking of a guy. Think of a mind that can see every object in the universe in a single moment and is filled with infinite love and compassion. So when we hear the word Buddha, we think that. So it's not like we're, because it, it makes sense to think of it more like that. It's not like we're gonna become the historical Buddha anyways. So you know, like when we think of Buddha, we think of that. But what he's saying here is when we hear the word Buddha, when I say Buddha, you think of a mind that can see every object in the universe in a single moment and is filled with infinite love and compassion. And to me, if I think that, that actually feels, it's a lot more motivating and it feels um, attainable. Because how am I going to become an Indian guy from 2,500 years ago? <laughs> Because that's kind of how I'm seeing it, you know? Um, so could our mind become like that? Omniscient and knowing all things and having infinite compassion for those things. It just sounds amazing. We physically are able to appear in any location in the universe in any form that's helpful to people. When all Buddhas, once, you know, It's what how it's said to happen is just spontaneously. They don't even think about it. I have no idea how that works. Yeah. It's just like there's they just have some like natural tendency, some natural sense. A connection maybe with all of them. Yeah. In some way they're just automatically because it's said that 
the teachings say that there's no effort required. They don't have to think anything. They're not like, oh, Heather's really bummed out right now and she needs like a friend. They don't even they don't even think that. It's just automatic. I have no idea. It's like beyond it's beyond what I can really like imagine in a way. Yeah. Well maybe it's just like how we naturally get angry or like are naturally attached to things. Like we don't have to try to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just naturally serving all beings. Yeah. So the idea is to forget about the guy with long ears and a bump on his head. Because it's actually not very interesting. Buddhas can be the sound of the waves. They can be the sun. They can be the stars at night. They can be our dog who provides companionship. They can be our Lama, they can be our Dharma friends, they can be anything. They're not limited to, to one appearance. A Buddha has a mind that sees all things simultaneously and has infinite compassion. Buddhas are able to physically appear anywhere in the universe simultaneously to help beings who are ready to see them. Totally spontaneous, like we were just saying. Oh, it's funny you're just saying that because that's right in my notes coming up too. Lord Buddha doesn't have to think, I have to go to earth to appear as the waves to inspire someone. It's just automatic. It is, it's kind of mind-blowing, but this whole section on what Buddha nature is, it's a really clear presentation and it's really hard to find. And this next one is the classical scriptural definition of Buddha nature. Say Sangye, Sugir, Rung. Sangye, Sugir, Rung. And this means anything could turn into a Buddha. How many things in this room could turn into a Buddha? Not talking about those things that are already a Buddha. And Gyurung means if certain things happened, could it turn into a Buddha? And those are Buddha nature. And there are three. So we're going to go over, we're just going to go over two because um, the third one is kind of obscure. So the two things that could turn into a Buddha. Number one, say Rangshin. Rangshin. Nevri. Rangshin Nairik. So this is inborn Buddha nature. And this is a really important one. It's probably what they were talking about before when the Dharma room started about the Buddha already being inside of you. You're already being a Buddha, you just have to uncover it. It's that Buddha nature is already within you. It's the emptiness of your mind. Innate, inborn Buddha nature which already exists in any being that has a mind. And the best example that you could ever give for Rang Shin Ne Rik, um, this is a traditional example. Say Ki Gen, Ki Gen, Kiaoi, 
Geek Q Geek Key <laughs> Sem Den Tong Okay, so this is um, the emptiness or lack of self-existence in the mind of an old scroungy mutt. So this is saying even a scroungy old dog has Buddha nature or the lack of self-existence, which is one of the categories that will turn you into a Buddha. So within five minutes, you'll understand the Buddha nature of an old mutt and therefore your old mind, your own mind. <laughs> and what is it that stops us right now from seeing our body as an angel's body or a body of light. What stops me from seeing my body that way right now? Why am I being forced to see my arm with, um, or my hand with wrinkles, with freckles, instead of seeing a body made of pure light with no guts or blood on the inside or anything like that? And for that, we have to understand that our arm or our hand is not self-existent. And so what does that mean? So, yeah, that this arm, self-existent would be that this arm exists out there away from my mind. And the way the arm looks doesn't depend on my mind. It's self-existent. It's on its own. So it doesn't exist like that. It never did. It never will exist like that. A self-existent arm looks like it's existing out there independent of me. And all I, so all I can really see with my eyes when I look at my hand is flesh color, different cylinder shapes, um, you know, like lines. That's really all the eye can see. That's what the eye sees, colors and shapes. Our eye does not see hand or arm. The eye is only recording colors and shapes, and then it's sending information to the mind, and then the mind takes over, organizes stuff, and then your mind spits out hand or arm or whatever it is based on the data that's observed by the eyes. And then it organized the information in the mind so fast and so smooth that we think it's a hand. So what's happening is the eyes seeing colors and shapes, the mind's organizing it, it's saying hand, but it's happening so smoothly and so fast that we really think this is a hand and it's out here on its own coming towards me instead of coming from me. And that's really the way everything appears to us because of how quickly it's happening. The labeling, the seeing. And if we're paying kind of close attention, we can sometimes get that sense that we're, that something more is happening or it's like hard to find the label or something like that. We can get a sense of it. So the next question is, could the mind have come to a different conclusion? Could it have organized these parts of my hand into a different, in a different way? 
And the answer is yes, of course. So if I take rebirth as a cockroach, my mind would see the same parts and look down and see Roach's legs. It doesn't take more than a shift in our mind to go to an animal realm, which is really creepy. <laughs> so an animal birth or rebirth is merely the mind shifting so that I look down and I see bug's legs. I don't see a hand anymore. I see a bug's hairy, gross leg. <laughs> Sorry, bugs. <laughs> so it's not really a rebirth, but we can call it that. It's really just the mind organizing the same shapes and colors differently which is really radical and wild if we let it, you know, like let it sink in for a minute. It's just a change of how our mind is organizing colors and shapes. That's all that's happening. So if that's all that's happening, then can I just decide to see something better? Can I just decide to see my hands as made of glittering rainbow light and I'm an enlightened angel? And we, I mean, we obviously know that, no, we can't do that. We can't just decide. It, do, it just doesn't work that way. Even if we try to change, like, you know, I want to lose weight or whatever, we can't just decide. We know this. We have to, something else has to happen. So what makes things change is karma, which is mental impressions that are created by everything that we think, say, and do. So if we help others, the impressions that we see are sweet, and if we hurt others, what we see is dangerous and painful. And we're mostly a mix. And then the impressions take time to grow and flourish, and then they take over. So if we plant the right seeds, whether we want to or not, we'll be forced to see ourselves as a deity. We won't be choosing, we'll be forced to see ourselves that way. But because, so because how my arm looks depends on how my mind organizes it, which is based on my past goodness or badness that I've done, because of all that, I can become a Buddha. Because that's all that's happening. The fact that my arm or my hand is empty of being an arm or a hand from its own side is Buddha nature. And that's really cool. And everybody has that. Everybody has that. Master Shanti Deva says we all have this emptiness. So Rang Shin Ni. So, the mind can see anything based on our past deeds. At a certain point, we'll be forced to see ourselves as an angel because the mind will shift, and that's what we'll have to see. And it'll be real for us, too. Because it's empty, if we plant the right seeds, we have to become a Buddha. So the emptiness of my mind, of all of our minds, is our Buddha nature. 
And that's logical. That makes sense. Like the idea that there's a, I'm already a Buddha, but I just have to uncover it. That doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> it seems harder to. Yeah, it does. The, which one? I think the first, you know, that was in Pettis. Yeah. It seems... But it's semi-nice to know that we all have to, depending on how it's worded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. So what Master Shanti Davis says is to train ourselves in what Buddha nature is, and then every time we're discouraged, just focus on our Buddha nature. So just act like you're doing that right now, like feeling discouraged about something, and then I focus on my Buddha nature. So I already have the emptiness of my mind. which is what's going to allow me to see myself as a Buddha, to have to be a Buddha when I have the seed. What about the Buddha nature? When you get frustrated, just... It's basically saying I have the potential to become an enlightened being because my mind is empty it's the emptiness of my mind which is what's make forcing me to see skin instead of um, a body of light it's forcing me to see everything so because it's completely empty at a certain point it'll force me to see a Buddha paradise if I plant the right seeds. So there's nothing, like it's not fixed that I have to see things the way I see them now. Which we know this in a way, but, um, and sometimes things do radically shift in our life, but we don't notice it as much in that way. Like, like things can change drastically in our life and that's the same thing. It's karmic seed shifting and changing. But we don't see, like, in a way, if we think myself compared to when I was a baby, that's pretty drastic, too. Mm -hmm. Like, we saw it happen over a period of time. But that seems like kind of the same. So, like, baby to now. And then now we're taking the steps towards Buddhahood. So it's kind of the same in that way, too. Mm -hmm. So the other... So one... Um, one way of taking... So we take comfort in this, and we take refuge in it. And then there's the two kinds of refuge, the causal and result. So one is going for protection, 
in the Buddhas who already exist, which can be really helpful too. If we're having a hard time to call on the Buddhas, whoever comes to mind, whoever's close to us, or I think we're our Lama. Um, and then the other is taking refuge in our own future Buddhahood. Future Buddhahood. So because everything's empty of self-existence, my mind's empty of self-existence, even the Buddhas have the same emptiness of their mind that they had when they were, you know, a normal schmuck. Because of that, I will become a Buddha. It's inevitable. Even if I mess up right now, I'm still going to get there. So that's the other way. Um, why don't we take a break? Yeah. Okay. I think I started this. Oh yes, good.